Yeah, just following doctor's orders for this here three-a-day. You've heard of football two-a-days, football practice two-a-days, but uh, this here is a podcast three-a-day when I'm sick. That makes this superior to football. Uh, doing three podcasts, a three-a-day podcast. Um, but I have more I want to say about young men or maybe boys would be a better way to put it. And I don't know any. That's a weird thing to think about. I think this is the first time in my life when I've realized I don't know any young men or boys. Maybe like people, like I might have some relatives who I never see or talk to somewhere. Uh, you know, some of my friends have kids these days who are getting up to that age, but I don't really know them or talk to them, and I don't know what they are like. So I think my entire image of young men is really something I absorbed through osmosis, just hearing about them, seeing glimpses of what they're into. And in the same way, that never would have been representative of me or my friends. Like, like whatever I'm getting, whatever picture I'm getting of young men today can't possibly be the full picture. And you're never going to get the full picture, but I'm just trying to imagine if like someone my age was trying to understand what I was like or what my friends were like at that time. We were not represented. There was no way to just know what we were like through pop culture, and not because we were so cool or into like such weird stuff. Uh, it's just one of those things. You can't possibly understand what they're thinking, what they're exposed to, what they do, really. But I do wonder, you know, the, the things you do here, it's not like those things are fake. It's not like the things we do here about young men today are just, you know, coming out of nowhere. Like, they're just made up. And, and young men are under a lot of scrutiny. And, uh, you know, some of that's deserved. I think men are always under scrutiny for good reason. You know, we are aggressive people. You know, we like to act out. Uh, and I think... We need to be given opportunities to do that in ways that don't ruin our lives or other people's lives. And even then we might, you know, even then we might end up going over the line. But just thinking about being a young man and uh, being a boy, being a kid, a kid. Uh, and, you know, when you're walking down the street with your friends, it doesn't matter how well behaved you are, how good you are. You'll always want to test boundaries and break them. If you can, you'll test them to the point of breaking and you just hope you don't get in trouble. You don't want to get in trouble, but you do want to like test those boundaries and impress your friends. And then later girls are involved and that's when guys start doing some really weird, stupid shit. Uh, but, uh, you know, just even you and your friends, I can think of walking by, you know, if your friend has a, uh, you know, a backyard or the chain link fence and you, you happen to see that his dad left a ladder out, you're going to put the ladder over the chain link fence and go walk along the highway sound wall. And, you know, at some point, one of the kids, you know, he's going to throw something over that sound wall. Horrible. You don't want to throw shit into traffic. And you're lucky if you don't cause an accident. But at some point, someone's going to at least think about it. They're going to explore that possibility. And if he's a young man, kind of euphoric, hanging out with his friends, feeling like a badass, chances are he's going to go through with it at some point. And it wasn't me. Uh, I was a witness, though, and that makes me just as bad. According to the detention I got in second grade, uh, that <laughs> being, uh, being there and not stopping it apparently makes you just as bad. It turns out that detention is just like a murder conviction. You're just as bad if you're a witness and you don't do anything about it. Uh, aiding and abetting, uh, but yeah, I didn't throw a, I didn't throw whatever it was over the sound wall. But you know, a kid might do that, and maybe I saw a kid do that once. Uh, the same thing goes for any number of situations. I mean, I did throw some rocks through the windows of an abandoned house with some friends. You know, you see an abandoned house, 
uh, and you know they're going to tear it down, and you're in an alleyway filled with rocks, hey, you know, it just seems like a given. And I have to say, I can still remember the satisfying sound and visual of those rocks going through a window, and particularly my friend's little brother, who was really young at that point, picked up this huge rock. It was almost like a broken-off piece of concrete from something. I think that's actually what it was, but it almost looked barnacled. You know, pieces of concrete almost have that look to them, where it might as well be something you just pulled out of the ocean. And he threw it through a, a window, and so it was this huge rock that just it just smashed this entire window. And sure enough, a guy came out, a neighbor, and yelled at us. And the really funny... The ridiculous thing about it, just the human thing about it, the complicated, annoying human thing about it is that we were forced, our, our parents, of course, were forced to pay for new windows and they still tore the place down. So it's just this little like, you know, we're going to make you pay for it. You, you know, that is a, a true like boys will be boys moment. And I feel like we actually showed some consideration by choosing an abandoned house. You know, we were actually doing them a favor. You know, we cut down ever so slightly on the amount of labor needed to tear the house down because, hey, we already took care of the windows. Uh, but yeah, our parents ended up having to replace the windows and then they tore it down a short time later and built, you know, some big ugly house. Just a funny little thing. Just like, you know, there's this little like what you would consider uh, miscarriages of justice that you experience as a kid where it's like yeah we did wrong by throwing those rocks but you guys actually fucked up and like you guys we were at least following some kind of logic we are little boys just getting into trouble and that is something boys do it's not socially conditioned our parents society didn't encourage us to do little things like that it's almost like a current that just shoots through your body it's not you know it's it's it doesn't come from one particular place you just do it and hopefully you don't end up doing anything terribly bad. And that is where maybe coming from a good home or just being well, you know, balanced and socialized does help you out. Uh, uh, but yeah, there are always those little miscarriages of justice. The other one, the, det the detention I was talking about where I was included, where I was punished with six other boys because some friends were throwing rocks in an alleyway by the school. Not the same alleyway. So both these stories involve rocks. Who knew that, you know... These primitive little bastards called boys would do things with rocks, these naturally occurring, easily throwable, hard, sharp objects. Who, know, who knew that that would just be immediately attractive? No, clearly it was society. Clearly society was like, men are, are conditioned from birth to pick up rocks and throw them and sometimes put themselves and others and particularly the property of others at risk. It's all, it's, it's uh, toxic masculinity that causes boys to pick up rocks. No. Uh, tell that to a monkey, you know, seriously. <laughs> um. Uh, but with that case, you know, a friend, he was throwing rocks in an alleyway, and a kid from our school happened to live in the alleyway, and one of the rocks just kind of went near the mom's van parked in the driveway, and it didn't hit it. It did not touch it. And my friend, my best friend in the group, of course, was also, you know, a master manipulator, and he, he loved to create uh, an interesting situation out of, out of... It was very fun. You know, he, he liked to create some fun, sometimes... Uh, at great risk, <laughs> psychologically especially. But uh, he he said, hey, what if I tell the teacher that, uh, you know, he, see that dent in the van? Like, what if I tell the teacher that, uh, you know, so-and-so did it? 
he threw a rock and hit it. And I was, I just laughed. I didn't think he was going to actually do it. So we get back to class after recess and I'm sitting there at my desk and the teacher's standing kind of behind me and I hear my friend, my best friend, go up to the teacher and I hear him quietly telling her the story. I hear him quietly telling her that, you know, so-and-so threw a rock that hit the van and caused a dent. And I just think, I have this, this feeling of both excitement and terror because I'm just like, it's here it goes. That's such a great feeling, that, that excitement and terror. And anytime I feel it, I just, I love it. Anytime you feel that, especially as an adult, because uh, as a kid, it's something that comes up quite frequently because you never really know, you know, you, when, that's why you're testing your boundaries because you never really know when you're going to get caught or whether you're actually testing a real boundary. You know, that's what I'm talking about, about, you know, and I think all kids do it, but young men have a very particular way. And so I had that feeling of terror and excitement, like what's that feeling of like, what's going to happen next? Like what, what's going to happen next? Like, I know I'm not off the hook. I know I'm going to, I'm at the very least going to have to talk to the teacher about this. And sure enough, she calls us together in the hallway and, and, you know, she got all the names of the six boys and informs us that because the one kid threw the rock and it caused this dent that already existed and keep in mind like like I liked the the family who owned the van I liked them I was friends with their son he wasn't with us I was you know I played sports with the son and I liked them they were kind of rough but they were good people and she was a drunk and like I, you know that dent could have come from backing out of her driveway you know I, I don't know I'm, I'm not trying to diss her or anything uh, she was a drunk so was I so you know like I can say that um but uh, back then, I was a drunk back then. We were all drunk throwing rocks, no. Um, but uh, the teacher's like, hey, you know, listen, you were all there, and you saw him throw the rock, and you didn't stop him, so it's going to be a detention for everybody. And it was just, you know, all sound dropped, and everybody was just in shock. I'm, I didn't, I, that was the first detention I had. I would have a number more, not a lot, but I, I would have, I had a handful and uh, that was my first attention, though. I remember that. I think I'd gotten what they called a communication slip, which was like this bullshit, like half-ass thing. It was like a warning on a piece of paper that you had to sign on like a half sheet of paper, and you had to sign it, and there was like a carbon copy. It's like ridiculous. Think about being a teacher and making a kid sign that. Think about being a teacher and making a kid sign something called a communication slip that basically says you fucked up, and they have to sign it, and it's like a half sheet of paper with a little carbon copy. I mean, like... You're going to tell me that like teaching isn't LARPing, that that's not like live action role playing, that you actually think that you're a real person making a little kid sign a document like that because they like did something not even serious enough to get a detention, which is like a, having to stay in for 15 minutes, either at lunch or after school, both of which I, I served and I would prefer the lunch, honestly. Staying after school is weird and dark and schools clear out so quickly it, it would blow your mind. Like... You think about like when the bell rings at the end of the day and all the moms are picking the kids up and, uh, you know, it's like bustling and you just school. As long as you're at school, there's people all over the place at all times. And if you're there for a detention, though, even just 15 minutes in, in that classroom, everybody's gone and it's like a ghost town. It's seriously like it's like that same feeling you get when you're the last person to finish a math test and you're like you still have time, but you're putting all this like pressure on yourself and you're experiencing this like minor humiliation because everybody else finished before you. And that 
in turn makes you know that you're going to fuck up on the test. And, you know, anyway, it's that sort of feeling when you're, when you stay after for detention and you walk out into the hallways and you're like, holy fuck, like everybody's gone. And 15 minutes feels like days. You feel like you were truly, you feel like the rapture happened and you were left behind. I'm not even joking. But anyway, we got this detention for something that didn't even happen. It was a, a rock was thrown, a van had a dent in it, and we all got in trouble. And not only that, we had to write, um, well, I should say too, when they informed us of the detention, we were all shocked. And one of my good friends who was there, he came from kind of this redneck family. We were really close. He just bursted out crying. And he was the kind of kid who did that. It was funny because he came from like the toughest home in terms of like, not tough in terms of like mean, but his dad was just, he was a hunter. He taught me how to hunt. I spent a lot of time there and I learned a lot about like paganism because a lot of people don't realize that rednecks are the real American pagans, you know, Native Americans, of course, but like in terms of like white America, rednecks, you know, yeah, there's the ones who are just living really disgusting lives, but these were like real, like living off the earth. Like they lived in, in the suburbs, but like they hunted and they did so many things for themselves and it was really cool. And they had their own value system that was good, but it was much different than everybody else in the town. And like looking back on that and they would always have get togethers too, like parties and people getting together, 4th of July celebrations. That was big for them. It was very, and everything about it, like they had their way of doing it and they were welcoming to everybody. Uh, it was really cool. And they were, and to me, to this day, like those people are way more true pagan than like whoever your like Wiccan metalhead friends are, whoever like, you know, it doesn't matter like what dress your girlfriend buys at the Renaissance fair. Like those are real pagans. You know what I mean? Um, but that son, he bursted out crying just because it was so shocking to him. And, he, you know, he said, like, my dad's going to kill me. But, of course, he wasn't. His dad wasn't, you know, that bad or anything. But it was just one of those things where it was it was unsettling. And then I was, I think I was the only one, aside from my friend who lied, my friend who created the lie, which I would, you know, at the time it was like, man, he lied and we all got in trouble. But, like, looking back, like, bravo, fucking bravo, to him for making up that lie because to this day it's so fun to look back on that like that memory and it was it was also such a lesson of like what can be created out of nothing like he created this crime that didn't happen we were punished for it and not only that the real kicker the guy who threw the rock who was not the smartest guy in the world became convinced immediately almost that he did throw the rock and created the dent so what does that tell you about you know, you hear about false confessions and that kind of thing. Like, if we had killed someone or something, you know, would he have actually believed he did it? Like, you hear about that, like, about someone falsely confessing and, like, you know, and not even under very much pressure. Like, he believed, he came to believe within, like, seconds after getting that detention that he actually threw that rock. And it's like, he probably remembers throwing that rock, you know? I clearly remember him not. I knew, I saw the whole... I saw the whole machination, the, the, I, I saw the, if I, if I even said that right, I saw everything going on behind the scenes and my friend who orchestrated it, I give him credit because like he gave me one hell of a lesson in, in just how things work or don't work. Um, but then we also had to write letters to that mom. So it's like, it was like this, like 
unfolding like level of absurdity and drama that didn't need to exist which was just so funny like we all had to write letters to the mom who owned the van apologizing for something that never happened and she no doubt knew there was a dent in her van and it was clear in what she wrote back to us because she wrote us a letter back where she was like I'm not going to ask you guys for any money and uh, you know I, I accept your apologies and that was like it there was nothing. It was like you could totally tell that she knew she put that dent in her van. You know, if you dent your car, like it's not a big mystery to you if there, like a dent shows up in your car, you know, unless somebody ran into you in a parking lot when you were in the store or something. But for the most part, you're going to know. Even then, you're going to see it. You know, at some point, you're going to like look at your car and be like, oh, there's a dent in my car. So she knew and she was probably like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Like, I put that dent in there. So that added a whole other level of, of absurdity to it that makes it great. And I really should have brought it up later with her son, who, like, I was, like, a, not a great friend, but he was always around, always someone I talked to, hung out with on occasion. Uh, but uh, it's just uh, one of those things where it's just like, wow, this this was literally all created out of nothing, and all of these people believed it, and just my best friend and I were the only people who knew that he had made up the whole thing. Even the people involved, even, you know, it's just maybe that mom. I think the only people who knew the truth were me, my best friend, and the mom who owned the van. And maybe even she believes otherwise now. Remember when those kids threw that rock in, at my van? My van? Uh, I love that van. Uh, it, it's just crazy, though, how that can all come about. But the bigger point I'm getting is just young men are prone to these things and it includes the things they say. It's if you, if you know, you have to imagine if kids will throw rocks, they'll say things, they'll do things and they should be, you know, if it's, if it's too bad or too wrong, or if they, you know, get a little over, you know, overzealous and really fuck up, you know, they need to be, that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, absolutely. But it's, you know, in this current age, my understanding is that, Basically, all of that behavior is discouraged to the point where you can do very little without getting branded for life, really. You know, it's like the, the slightest the, the slightest case of being provocative or acting out means that, oh, you're being brainwashed by dangerous people and we need to we need to talk. We need to talk. Anybody who says that, you can just discount them right away. We need to talk. It's something that like parents used to say in made for TV movies and now you have like articles of people writing that like so and such and such we young men we need to talk. You'll see articles with that like title written on them and it's just like oh here's something not to read and uh I don't know just the whole way I think the the behavior and impulses of young men are being addressed is just entirely backwards and it's they're suffering for it and there are people you know much more much more well researched and you know honestly and you know ah, just i don't know there's 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 a lot of people who have done a lot more work and research into this than i have and like i said i don't even know any young men i can think of right now uh, i can think of a couple people i know who have teenage sons and one of the sons has acted out a lot he's gotten in a lot of trouble and another one the parents are very liberal and the son has become right wing. And 
I think that they're just kind of dealing with it, whatever. I mean, it, you know, he has his own beliefs, but they're not happy with it, which is funny. You just think about this age in which we live in, where I grew up, where every story was, you know, the the conservative 1950s wonder years parents with the hippie older sister who is upsetting the parents with her, you know, new commie hippie beliefs. And that was the common story. It was the parents who are conservative, and it was the kids who rebelled against the conservative parents and in the end become maybe like somewhat more moderate as they get older. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just such a common story. And then now that things are so reversed that we all grew up with these parents who are like, oh, I was there in the, in the 60s. I was there. I was there in the 60s, like, uh, I was a hippie for a day at the very end of the trend, enough to be able to say I was there, uh, and they raise their kids in these liberal environments, and then their kids are kind of snapping into this weird right-wing thing, or they think they are, or, like, the kids don't even know what they're doing. I mean, the kids are testing boundaries, and they see that as a boundary they can test, and then the overreaction to it tells them wow, there's really something to this, and they're really trying to stop me. And, you know, overreacting to your, you know, daughter, you know, dating a guy you don't like, the, the cliche is that you're just pushing him farther into his hands. Oh, you don't like her boyfriend? Well, uh, I, I hope you don't mind calling him your son-in-law because you're just pushing him right, pushing her right into his hands. Uh, you know, she's just going to do the opposite of whatever you say. And it's, it's true though, for, you know, what's going on now where like, if your parents, you know, try to instill something in your head or, or it's just try to limit, you know, what you have access to within reason, it's like, you're going to go harder. You're going to push it harder. It's just one of the, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know how to handle having a kid today and trying to explain to them, you know, what matters and what doesn't. Some people go to church and so they take their kid to church and that's, it makes having values very easy. You know, the kids I knew growing up who were Christian weren't very fun to be around, weren't very fun to talk to. I mean, there were a lot of kids who like, they're, they were like superficially Christian, but the kids who were actually involved, really truly involved, generally weren't very interesting and, and that kind of thing. And uh, they weren't the kind of people who test the boundaries. And I think that's why they were uninteresting because they didn't learn the value of what what they were preaching through experience. It's like I talk about where, you know, you have to, you have to have broken the rules to truly understand and respect them. Uh, there, and there's some that are self-evident, like you don't need to break, like you don't need to kill someone to know why not to kill somebody. But there's so many other smaller rules that people almost make as big of a deal about. You know, like growing up, it's like, like I was saying, that feeling of excitement and terror when you do something wrong, you don't really know what rules have more weight than others because you're constantly being told, like, all these rules are so important. And if you break any of them, you're going to fuck up forever or go to jail or something. And so you don't really know the actual value of any given rule until you break it. And even then, you know, if you experience the sort of farce that I did when I was growing up with, uh, you know, detentions for things that never happened, uh, you know, breaking windows and having to pay for them only for them to tear the building down, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, there's some level of injustice. And I can only imagine what goes through someone's head in the ghetto or some, you know, terrible place, you know, where, you know, everything is just turned upside down. I can't even imagine how that shapes you. Uh, I 
forgot to bring my soda over, and I'm sick. So did I tell you I'm sick? I, I like to tell people. I like to get sympathy. I like to get uh, I, I like to get lots of uh, attention when I'm sick. So I tell people. I can't. I also like to make plans with people when I know I'm getting sick, so that the day of I can tell them. Oh, I can't go. I'm sick, and that way I get more sympathy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just this thing that we're going through now, and uh, you know, I don't know what to say about. You know, I think there are ways that you know the boys will be boys thing is. Uh, once again, we go back to the same thing. I feel like I'm just repeating the same fucking things all the time about everything. I'm like repeating the same basic idea about everything, but it really comes back to like there is a every single like impulse in a person I feel like has a virtuous side and a malignant side. And I like those words. I like the word virtuous and I like the word malignant. And it's not always going to be one or the other. But like the same impulse that makes young men like want to test boundaries and try things out, I feel like that actually builds some kind of character and gives them some understanding for what they can do and not do in the world. And it gives them confidence. Because, you know, doing your homework doesn't give you confidence. Getting A's is cool. Uh, you know, getting an A on a test is cool, but it doesn't give you confidence as a growing person. It doesn't give you something to hold on to. It's something that you know can help you or it like makes you feel smart. It makes you feel like you're really smart to get an A. Uh, but it doesn't really, you don't feel like it really builds your character. It's not a character building, you know, it's not something that you get anything from on a, on a character building level. It's, It's just like following the rules. You know, it's all you're doing is, oh, I'm following the rules really well and I'm smart. I'll pat myself on the back and get into a good uh, college. Uh, You know, that's all it really is. It's the things that you do in front of your peers and your friends and the little daring things you do. And so much of it is bullshit. That's the thing, too, about boys is like we would sneak out at night at sleepovers in like sixth grade and we wouldn't get up to serious mischief. We'd go down the street to the park in, in the middle of the night and we'd think we were doing something so bad and we'd almost hallucinate you know we were it was before drugs or any of that but we would almost envision that oh there's a guy over there do you see that guy watching us you know and and then you know just like how the detention was like a made-up event that everybody eventually believed it's like one person sees a shadow and says there's a guy watching us and next thing you know everybody sees that guy and everybody's like freaking out and that's what makes it fun um but we wouldn't get up to like serious mischief but we we had the illusion that we were being so bad we were sneaking out the bedroom window and running around and, you know, pretending to see things. And then we'd go back in like a half hour later or whatever. Uh, but it was just that those sorts of experiences were like we were, you know, showing each other that we were willing to break a rule. And that is, you know, leave the house in the middle of the night without telling the parents. And we were willing to get up to some minor mischief, climbing around on things, maybe like coming up with funny, like weird shit to yell, yelling stuff in neighborhoods. Who knows what we did? Uh, but it it wasn't malicious, and it proved to each other that hey, like my friends are cool, like we can, they're trustworthy. We can go out because every once in a while you would have a friend who would just like tell their mom everything, and like I'm, you know, I'd be classified as a mama's boy for sure. I have no shame in that. Uh, you know, I get along with my mom very well, and we're close. Um, but I was never one of these kids who like ran home to mom and told mom like what my friends said and what we were going to do or what mischief we were getting up to. You know, that was just never an acceptable option to me. But you would meet kids who did that and immediately that kid's not cool. He's not going to be in your group of friends. 
And sometimes it would be like a popular kid who like, you know, everybody thought was like kind of badass. And it turns out at the sleepover, you find out what they're really like, what they're really made of. Uh, and, uh, but it was a way of kind of proving to each other that you can get up to stuff, you can do stuff. And that just continues into your teenage years. And if you fall in with the wrong crowd, you get up to some really bad shit. I mean, all it takes is one little twist. And that's what I mean, where it's like, it's that, it's courage. You know, you're showing to each other that you're courageous and that you're fun too. It's, it's like fun courage, uh, which you hear courage, you don't often hear it associated with fun, but you know, being courageous in, in those small little ways, even if it's all an illusion, you know, uh, yeah, you know, you think about it too, though, it's like, but how many adults would, would feel comfortable, like, right now, in the middle of the night, like, leaving their house and going down the street to a park at night, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of them would actually wimp out about that, or feel uncomfortable at the very least, so it's not even just, like, a kid thing, that we had this illusion we were being so bad, there's a lot of adults who even just leaving the house during the day like feel this sense of terror and not excitement, just pure terror. And like maybe there are some issues behind that, but it seems to be becoming more and more common. And maybe it's because they didn't go through some of these foundational experiences of like fucking around and getting in trouble and realizing that, you know, saying the wrong thing or doing something like, you know, relatively minor in the grand scheme of things isn't going to fuck your life up forever. It's not going to take you off track. It's actually going to give you like something to build off of and it's going to make your relationships with your friends stronger and you don't even know it at the time. It's all fucking natural and that's my point is that it's natural for young men to do that and girls have their own way of doing it. You know, once we started hanging out with girls, like when we were old enough, it's not like I had, it's not like I was like popular with girls at all. Uh, but you did start to like kind of mingle with them by junior high and get a feel. Cause like, I mean, girls are a mystery in elementary school. It's like, you know, kind of where they fall and like what kind of girls they are. Like that girl's really nerdy. That girl's this, but like, it's not until junior high that you really know how like girls operate, like what they do with their sleepovers, you know, they, and then you start to find out about that and they would do things like they would, they would sneak out, you know, and they would do things. Like, I remember this group of girls who were otherwise, like, pretty well-behaved, like, you know, girls from good homes, whatever, as if that matters, and they would go out and, like, flash cars, you know, these are, like, little girls, you know, uh, you know, at the time, they're my peers, and they're, like, 13, but it's, like, uh, they would go out and do that. They would go flash. And, and it's just like, yeah, people do daring things. So it's not just young men. It's like everybody kind of builds bonds that way and proves something to themselves, to their friends, literally to the world. I mean, it's not like they were actually like showing their boobs to cars. You know, it's not like they were actually like trying to be seen. It's like what they were really doing is just like bearing it all to the world, to the fucking night sky, you know? And that's what so much of it is. And like, because to a kid, like the night is an absolute mysterious wonderland. I still feel that way about the night. Uh, as I, I came up with like a, I was going to like make like a little like magazine or booklet or something some years back. And I was going to call it night is the original hallucinogen because it just changes everything. It's like, you think you know what everything looks like and you still know where everything is, but that darkness, that night, it changes things. You're experiencing a completely different world. You're going to a different world. You know, the second that, uh, the sun goes down and the later it gets the stranger it gets and the quieter it gets but when you do hear things and see things when it gets that late you know the more likely they are to be dangerous or weird and i know <laughs> um but uh it's, it's just like how could why would kids not want to go just like 
walk around in the dark? Why would they not want to, especially a group of them? Because there's some security in that. If your kid is alone, that's when you have to worry. You know, despite what some people may think, I never did that alone. I never went out and walked the night alone as a kid. As an adult, sure. Uh, But as a kid, I never went out by myself. If your kid's going out, sneaking out by themselves, you have trouble on your hands. You have a lot of trouble on your hands. That kid's going to do some bad stuff if you don't get them help. (laughs) If your kid's sneaking out alone. uh, I've read the books. I've seen the documentaries. I know what happens, and (laughs) none of it's good if your kid's a loner who goes out by himself at night. Um, But uh, it's just that thing where, you know, kids are proving that themselves, and and even though boys and girls both have that impulse, uh, I think that in boys it manifests slightly differently, you know, and it is more aggressive, and uh, it just, it is what it is, and I think being a parent, you know, as much as, you know, I know that I'm, I was voted recently the number one parenting expert in North America. Uh, but, uh, this was voted the number one parenting podcast in, uh, North America and not including Greenland though. Um, but, uh, stupid joke. Uh, but, uh, I, uh, and I just derailed myself, of course. Um, but, uh, when you're a when you're a boy, it's it's like uh, or like being a parent. You know, you have to uh, being a boy parent. When you're a kid and a parent at the same time, when you have a kid too young, no. But being a parent means like you're just gonna have to constantly kind of battle with what's right and what's wrong for your kid, and it's why there's no guidebook or handbook that can really tell you what to do in any given situation. And I think it's the same thing. Like when your son or your kid is testing boundaries, uh, you know. A lot of it, I think, is luck. A lot of it's just the sort of environment that you've created. And some of it's who they are. You know, some of it might be genetics. You know, I don't care about nature versus nurture at this point. But uh, some of it might just be what's in them. You know, it might just be some bug. They might have just been born with some bug, you know, that's that's going to make raising them more difficult. Uh, and not even I'm not even talking about, like, a disorder or anything. Just some people, they might just be more oppositionally defiant. You know, oppositional defiance is, you know, something, you know, that you're just, it's like having someone who just doesn't do what you want them to do at all times. It's like, you better have a, your psychology better be, you know, pretty advanced if you're going to deal with a kid like that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I hate to see kids discouraged from doing these things. And I think bullying is a part of it. I think that, just like I was saying that like that that desire for boys to be courageous and sneak out and cause trouble and throw things and sometimes push too far and sometimes in, in, in extreme cases hurt themselves or others uh, you know even though that's a thing like there's an upside and a downside to it and I used the example recently of like old biddies old hens who just gossip about people and spread rumors in the town. But then the upside of that is that it all, it's that same impulse that is interested in people. The same impulse that makes you gossip and, you know, spread malicious information about people and pry into other people's lives, you know, in a health, in a, in a healthy environment, 
is just being engaged with people and being interested in people and asking them questions and wanting to know about people and spreading, you know, decent information, spreading, you know, good news about people. You know, it's that same impulse, though. It's a desire and interest to, it's an interest and desire to talk about people. And I think it's the same thing with uh, courage, where it's like the same desire or whatever that leads a, a person to behave courageously, even if it's just sneaking out at night. It's the same thing that makes them do bad. It's the same thing that can make them hurt somebody because uh, it's it's it takes a level of uh, you know it's it's a daring you know it's a daring behavior either way. Um, and bullying too, I think it's the same thing where, yeah, there, there is malicious bullying that ruins kids' lives and it's mean, like, you know, uh, tribal group minded, you know, and it doesn't have to be, but that's the worst of it. When it's a group of people, especially with a ringleader bullying somebody, that's just terrible. And picking a weak person to just, who's not in your friend group to just, you know, belittle and humiliate in a place where they have no escape, like class or school, like that should be stopped. You know, that should absolutely be stopped. And I have no problem with that having penalties. But so much gets called bullying these days. And I know that many people have been talking about this, are talking about this. I'm not exactly bringing up a, a brand new idea here, but I think it's worth saying in the context of this conversation where the desire to bully is strong in young men and it's a way of testing each other. It's all testing each other. It's all figuring out your boundaries, figuring out other people's boundaries and just entertaining yourself. You know, there's something entertaining about pushing and prodding each other and I remember most bullying taking place within friend groups, within my group of friends for sure. It was almost like a, a round robin sort of like rotation where it seemed like every week another person was was uh, on the receiving end of, you know, uh, 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 the group kind of just throwing barbs at them. And it sucks when you're going through it, but you also know they're your friends and you know that you did the same thing to them last week. And, you know, I think that can get out of hand and you have some friend groups of friends who are just, they get really vicious and nasty toward each other and it, they're not really friends at all. They're just basically punching bags to each other. Uh, but, you know, I think in a normal group of friends, there's going to be a certain amount of bullying and probably one person will end up being like the weakest one and maybe get a little more of it. I think I've seen that happen in so many different situations and groups. And sometimes those people just learn to deal with it and usually bring something to the table in their own right. Or like that person, like every once in a while will like throw a barb at somebody that's like so cutting that everybody's just like, Whoa, like he normally just, he like absorbs everybody's like little, you know, jabs. And then just once in a while will drop like the most, cutting comment and that's always fun because everybody just loves it um and that's just you know that's how you you get tough and you deal with things that way and and that's you know just part of entertaining yourself part of figuring things out is just kind of being a dick to each other in different ways and most of the you know and i and I'd, i had kind of like a you know a core group of friends most of my life and didn't you know you know wasn't one of these people who had tons of friends but i knew a lot of people and had some other friends through sports, you know, that I would hang out with. And I would see the same thing play out with different groups of people where there was almost always bullying within the friend group, but not a lot outside of it. Although you did see that. And when you did see it, it was really sick. 
And you could also feel like a, a pull to do it. That's something that I had to learn about where I remember a couple of times, you know, like a friend and I maybe being a little bit too much of a dick to like some kid in your class who was like a runt who maybe just like said or did something wrong. Like I definitely remember doing that. And I remember having that done to me. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's just kind of the process that kids go through. And uh, we shouldn't mistake that for the really serious, like, you know, life-destroying day-in and day-out bullying that is the real issue that I think people want to address, but it's just become this all-encompassing thing that actually, you know, holds people back. It holds back people from figuring that stuff out. And it's not a surprise to me that there's a lot of bullying going on now in young adults and people don't really know how to interact with each other. Uh, I mean, I think you have to kind of experience like being a dick to people and having people be a dick to you, especially people you care about, to understand why not to do that. It's like breaking the rules. You have to like break some rules to figure out the true value and meaning of rules. And I think you have to kind of, you know, experience animosity with people that you know in order to understand why overall kindness and compassion is important. But that said, it's like, you know, if someone is my true friend, they can be a dick to me. Even now, I, I would prefer that they call me out when they feel like it, uh, as long as it's coming from the right place. You know, I, I would much rather be called out, even if it's a little bit aggressive, even if it's anything. You know, I, I don't mind that. Uh, and I, I hope that we don't completely shut that down, because it's not, a surpri- it's not a surprise to me that people are acting out in other ways because they aren't able to experience that and deal with that properly. And I don't think you can really even teach someone how to deal with that properly. I think that's something that you just have to deal with on your own. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to be like in the future because I don't know what young men truly are like today. I don't know what they're into. Like, I remember, like, bringing, like, a Ninja Turtle around my dad growing up. And, like, he was just like, what is that? Thing? You know, it's like, like, how does a dad who, like, was born in the 1940s, what's he supposed to think about, like, a Ninja Turtle? You know, what's he supposed to think about that? And, like, God forbid your grandpa takes a look at it. You know, it's like, what is that? And so I don't really know what kids are into, and I feel like if I were to see what a kid was into today, I might have the same reaction, uh, where it's just like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what you're holding in your hand. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I have any insight, truly, into what young men are experiencing, or especially boys, especially anybody who's like under 20. I truly have no, I don't even have a starting point. I don't, even, I don't even have a starting point to understand what they are like. And I think part of that's just the life that I'm in right now. I don't know people really who have sons like that. Uh, but they are, it's, it's a concern to me, you know? It's a concern to me to see what's happening and to see the image that's being painted of young men and the, the sort of narratives that are being pushed and the sort of regulations and guidelines that they're being held to. And I think we can teach boys better values than they were taught previously. I mean, I know we can because we've been doing it. You know, the values we've been teaching young men for the last number of decades are much better than in the decades prior to that, you know, in terms of just uh, their treatment of women, treatment of each other. You know, I think you can instill positive values in them without constantly telling them they're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You know, it's like you'll put up with uh, being told you're wrong like when you're a kid because you're scared. You know, you think your parents and teachers have that much power. And as long as you don't have a total psycho parent who's literally going to kill you, it's not going to be that bad. 
you're going to survive whatever it is you get through, whatever kind of trouble you get into, as long as you don't hurt anybody. And uh, it's it's one of those things, though, where uh, it's one of those things. Uh, it's one of those things, though, where, like, as a kid, you're just terrified. You don't know. I mean, like, talking about that story where we got our first detention and my friend just burst into tears, like, like we were going to be executed. Like, that's seriously how it felt. I felt like I was, uh, it felt like execution style, you know, like we're all being lined up. You know, it really had that feeling to it at the time. And it's like 15 minutes after class. Uh, it's going to be a ghost town. You know, it's, it's, that's terrifying. You know, it's, it's scary shit at the time though. You don't know better. Uh, and then when you get older, it's like your boss will tell you you're wrong, but they're paying you. They're paying you. And part of the reason that you're getting paid is to put up with shit, like being told you're wrong and not being able to do anything about it, which sucks. But, uh, at the same time though, it's like they're paying you and that's the weird trade off in this world we live in. Uh, and, but you, you, after a certain point though, being told you're wrong just doesn't work and it's not a conversation. And at at a certain age, when people do start to develop opinions and views on the world, even if they're juvenile, even if they're uninformed, you still need to engage them in a conversation if you want to have an actual impact and telling them they're wrong or, you know, trying to counteract whatever they're saying or doing with like propaganda from something else isn't going to work. That's not going to phase them. You know, they know what you're doing. They're going to know what your agenda is. One thing that teenagers and kids in general are really good at is they can tell when their parents have an agenda or anybody, a teacher, anybody. They start to learn that very early. And one of the reasons they, one of the ways they learn that is by testing the limits. It is by breaking rules. It is by figuring things out. You know, it's trial by fire. You know, it's uh, one of the ways they figure out that you have bullshit and that you have agendas and that you're sometimes trying to push things on them that aren't sincere. The reason they know that is because they've tested things out. They've tested you. That's certainly one thing they've done when they test boundaries is they're testing your boundaries. They're testing, they're seeing what you're made of and you're just winging it. You're just like repeating something you heard and they figure that out. Even if they don't actually think about that, even if they don't intellectualize it by thinking, oh, my parent is just repeating things they read in a book, heard from other people, copied from a fucking TV show, heard from their parents, you know, this or that, you know, they don't know that, but deep down, I think they know it. And that's why they're just able to intuitively tell when their parent is like, I want you to do this for this reason. And you're like, that's not your, that's not why, you know, you see through it. But at a certain age, you can't tell a, keep telling a kid they're wrong or, or bad. You know, they, they start to see through it. They start to see, you know, where your agenda starts and ends. And I hope that people keep that in mind, you know, in their little open letters and their, you know, I don't know, in, in their increasing regulations, because I think that's what a lot of it comes down to, is there's this desire to regulate rather than actually teach and inform. And part of teaching and informing is you lead someone to find the conclusion on their own. You don't tell them 
what you want. If you've ever had like a boss or anybody who like is never agreeable to anybody's ideas and or someone in your life for that matter, but I think a good example is a boss. Like if you've ever had a boss who is never agreeable to anybody else's ideas and they always think their own ideas are are the best, if you want them to do what you want them to do, you have to kind of like plant these little seeds and lead them along. You have to give them these breadcrumbs so that they come to the same conclusion that you did and that then they're like, oh, well, oh, what if we did this? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Meanwhile, it was what you had thought of like days ago, but it's like you just had to lead them along. And I think you have to do that in teaching. I think you have to do that in parenting. I know that I've always benefited from that. I'm stubborn as hell. I I don't like to do things that other people tell me to do. Or if I just you know, don't really like the person who's saying it, even if it's right, I won't listen. But in in my life, when someone has kind of led me to find a conclusion on my own, it's benefited me much more. Whether that's just a, a weird little ego game, I don't know. But we're talking about teenage boys. We're talking about insecurity. We're talking about ego ups and downs. You know, that's how it works. You have to lead them there, but you have to ultimately let them find their own conclusion. And they're only going to do that by trying to break it first. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 